0: Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Adam Finan, and in today's episode, I'm really excited to bring you a man who I met many years ago in Thailand, in Chiang Mai. His name is Johnny FD from johnnyfd.com and the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to come on today.
0: Yeah, Adam, I'm so excited to come on and it was fun just chatting offline right before about how we first met five years ago in 2013 here in Chiang Mai.
1: Feels like a lifetime ago. I've, I've had a child in the meantime, so I can't even remember life before that. <laughs> but, well, um, so yeah, I mean, this is a, probably a good place for us to to begin and start. Um, you know, why don't you talk to me about like what led to that decision for you to move over to Chiang Mai, and you know, why you decided that you wanted to work online and be able to work remote. What was it um, that brought you to that decision? And you know, what was kind of what were you doing beforehand? Um,
0: yeah, so. I grew up in California. i went to school uh, in Orange County, and I got a good corporate job. I was living in L.A., and I went to Thailand on vacation, and I just fell in love with it. It was just the most amazing place in the world, and I stayed for almost five years before I even started working online. I was working as a dive master at Scuba Resorts. I was doing Muay Thai, and I really loved it, but after five years of just bouncing around you know, following my passions and like kind of living the first half of the four-hour work week, but running out of savings, not never making more than you know a couple hundred dollars here and there, maybe getting free accommodation if I was training at a at a Muay Thai gym and fighting kind of under their promotion, or taking people scuba diving. I realized I needed to actually get back to making money and and not watching my savings deplete, and that's that's actually like exactly where we had met, and it was it was funny. Um, the question, I mean, you, you had mentioned some of the questions I was asking you when we first met in 2013, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we met to paint a picture for everybody. Um, I got invited. There's, um, I mean, there's a very popular podcast and website called ScrewThe9to5.com to and Jill and Josh Staunton were... Um, living in the same building as me in Thailand, and that's how I got to know them. And you know, we used to go to pond space together and co work and things like that. And they invited me to this um, party with all these, you know, online entrepreneurs. At the time, I was a member of uh, Dynamite Circle. Let's call. It's called. It's an online community as well. I, I used to be in that community, so I mean, it was a lot of people from that. And I went to this house party in this apartment with my pregnant girlfriend, way up high somewhere. And like, this was just the most mad apartment with big, huge wooden doors and carvings of elephants and like traditional Thailand, you know, scenery and stuff like that. It was super cool. And one of the people there was you. And, you know, we got to talking and you were asking about, you know, you were curious. You were asking about like how, what is it that you do? How much money do you make? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it a good business? are you spinning your wheels you were very interested in learning what is it that people were doing but that was the most effective if you know what I mean like not just like like at the time I was doing freelance writing and travel blogging and I mean freelance writing is is a it can be a bit of a slog if you don't jack up your rates pretty quick or start outsourcing it. So I don't think that sounded too appealing to you at the time. So I'll let you tell me what you, you know. What you remember, if anything, from from way back then, you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm still super curious about what people do and how successful they are, you know. And that's why I, I always ask that difficult question of how much money do you actually make from it. Because it's so easy to hear, you know, about these fancy online businesses or these things people are doing. And you might look at their Instagram and they might look like they're living a great life. They might live, you know, be living a flashy life. And then you find out that, you know, they don't make any money from it at all, or it's way less than, than it looks like they're making. And now I ask these questions because I genuinely want to know so I can share with my audience, especially on the Travel Like a Boss podcast, and share things that really work. But when I had met you in 2013, I was asking because I wanted a way for myself to be able to make enough money so I can continue living in Thailand and not have to go back to the U.S. and get a corporate job. So it's a, it's a. I mean, I'm in a different, very different place now, but you know, pretty much doing the same thing.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, there was a lot of people in that room who did a lot of very different things. You know, you had a lot of affiliate marketers, you had people in e-commerce, you had people doing. SEO agencies, you know, I mean, it was a very eclectic mix of, of um, you know, what well, you say online entrepreneurs, but I'm totally on board with what you're saying, you know, like profit first is, you know, if you can build an online business and, and a profitable one, um, then by all means, Putting your energy and focus into that versus, you know, it takes the same amount of energy and focus, but into something that's not going to be <laughs> profitable and has smaller margins. And you know what I mean? You'll be just as busy doing it. So, um, so so I guess around that time and after those sorts of conversations, you know, what did you, what did you then pursue? What did you see as like, okay, this is the sort of thing that I want to set up for myself? What was the next? kind of steps after that because I mean beyond seeing what you do on Facebook and listening to your podcast I mean I wouldn't know too much um about what you did next at that point in your life
0: yeah so at that point you know I had met a ton of people and when I would ask those questions I would find out that the people living the flashiest lives the ones that you know are staying at luxury hotels and you know taking photos by the pool with a five-star breakfast a lot of the travel bloggers or I guess now you know you would call them Instagram influencers they weren't making any money. I mean, they were barely making a few hundred dollars here and there for a sponsored post. They would spend all day emailing, you know, resorts and hotels, just trying to get, a, you know, a free room for a night in exchange for writing, you know, a long blog post, posting a bunch of photos. And I realized that's a lot of work for not any tangible reward. And then I would meet people who were making a lot of money, but were doing things that I couldn't see for myself. You know, at the time, you know, like the CPA, the cost per action in affiliate marketing or, you know, uh, you know, creating apps and like software as a service. I just didn't have the skills for it. I also didn't think it'd be something that I would even really enjoy learning. So it wasn't until, well, I guess at the time we met, I was making a little bit online. I had a my first ebook uh, on Amazon. It's called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life and the Cheap. And it's all about those first, you know, four or five years of living cheaply in Thailand while scuba diving and pursuing my passions with Muay Thai and just, you know, really just living a cheap, good life. But it wasn't enough to survive. It was maybe about two hundred dollars a month in, in net profit, which even though Thailand is very cheap, it still wasn't enough to live off of. And that's why I was so curious what people were doing. And it was probably very shortly after that that I discovered dropshipping, which if you know you're listeners aren't familiar with, it's a fulfillment model where you basically sell products online, physical products that get shipped to somebody's house. And it could be small things or expensive things. Uh, I chose the high ticket route where my average order value was between $400 to thousand dollars But it's a, it's a similar concept to, to the, the dropshipping that a lot of people do with ch- cheaper products. Basically, instead of ordering products up front and having a warehouse full of it and dealing with the shipping returns of it, you become an authorized dealer for a company or a brand. And once you sell a product, you forward that order to them and they ship it directly to your customer. And ironically, uh, I built all my stores through Shopify, which is the company that you work for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Shopify makes drop shipping easy for people, I guess, if you're using... There's a number of different apps, but I mean, Oberlo would be the main one um that people would use. But I I don't know. I guess this kind of circles back on what we were talking about before, like with uh you know, what's the thing that'll give you, you know, the same amount of effort but a greater return. And like, you know, I mean you can sell fidget spinners and make a dollar or five dollars or you can sell, you know, something for $400 or $1000 and take your 30% commission you know what i mean same effort same same energy goes into building the site and doing all the things of marketing and seo and running ads but the returns are two very different scenarios, you know? So uh, I, I guess that and what you said about getting clear on what you want, because I mean, I hear you. I used to, I mean, I started as a like freelance writer slash travel blogger. I built out a huge network of travel websites. I used to buy expired domains, rebuild websites, uh, sell links and advertising on these websites. I mean, that was a whole business I'd done for nearly two years. And I used to help other people who were doing that same business. And like you're saying, it's, it's, it, like I look at that now and I just think I just wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> the same way as I look at people who do software as a service. And I think it's just not for me. It's it's a huge slog. It's a huge investment. So I guess getting clear on what you want and and the lifestyle that you want, I think is very important as well. Um, Because, you know, what you choose to follow and where your energy and focus goes, I mean, that's, I mean, you got to be all in or it's probably just not going to work out, is it?
0: Yeah. What's funny is, During those you know two months of kind of exploring what types of business business models there were or what type of online businesses I could start, I remember I was very clear on what I wanted, but I didn't know it existed. I didn't know what dropshipping was. I never heard the term before. I remember you know asking people, I want you know say how can I sell physical products, but not have you know but from Thailand and not have to deal with uh, inventory or warehouse. And people said no, it's not it's not possible. And I guess at the time, it just wasn't a popular term. You know, people didn't know what dropshipping was. I was kind of lucky that what I really wanted existed. And the reason why I wanted to sell physical products and not either, you know, a virtual product like a, a online course or an ebook uh, or like a subscription or something or software is because I wanted to sell something tangible as my, you know, first real business. In my mind, it was a lot easier to figure out how do I sell, you know, this product uh, barbecue grill, you know, like a like a nice, you know, something that you would buy normally for three, four hundred dollars at Home Depot. I know if I can become an authorized dealer for that brand of barbecue grills that people want to buy anyways, and I can figure out how to market it online, I can sell it for the same price and just, you know, uh get the the margin for it instead of Home Depot or Sears or whoever is the you know, brick and mortar uh, dealer for it. And I still recommend that to a lot of people today where as your first business, it's much, much easier to wrap your head around an actual product that you can touch, you can see that people actually receive in the mail, they can take a photo of, you know, they can use it versus trying to sell something. Like let's say, I mean, an ebook, for example, why are some ebooks 99 cents and why are some $200? You know, they're both a PDF, and it's really hard in the beginning to wrap your mind around which one is worth 200 and which one's worth, you know, pretty much nothing, you know, and how to market that and how to get people to buy a $200 ebook when they can also, you know, download one for free.
1: Oh, I hear you, man. And I mean, dropshipping, dropshipping was kind of new back then. And I feel like it went through a period of I don't know what would be the word for it but there was just a bit you know sometimes when internet marketing gets its hands on things it can dirty it up a little bit you know what I mean like it, it like it made it look you had a bunch of people would making false claims and you know like selling some bullshit courses trying to you know like there was there was a, a period of that I feel like it's died down a lot now but like there was kind of a it was the thing to do for a while and I feel like you were you were doing it beforehand and not not in this sort of model at all. I'm not trying to say that, but what I'm saying is, you you know, like it went through a period where there was a number of um, courses came out and it was the hot thing to do and then it switched to Amazon FBA after that. You know, like it it kind of went through a cycle, but I mean, dropshipping and and then the method you're talking about, like where you're becoming an authorized dealer for a brand and you know, then you're treating it like any other e-commerce store. You need to figure out how to market that product, how to get it in front of customers. So... I feel like, um you know, that that's a brilliant approach. So can you talk a little bit more to that? Like what, how did you start to approach, um you know, brands to sell for? And, you know, how did you look to acquire those first sales for those dropshipping stores or that dropshipping store?
0: Yeah, so it was actually pretty very shortly after we met. I had, uh, you know, basically been, you know, just meeting random people at meetups and events and just do friends of friends. And just offering to take people out to dinner, just you know, to kind of find out more about what business models they were in, just trying to find out what I wanted to do or what I could do. And I stumbled upon this guy named Anton. He was from New York, and over dinner, he told me a lot of great tips about how I can sell more books. You know, just be a better marketer with books. And when I asked him what he did, he explained, you know, he sold expensive uh, products on online. And it was through something called dropshipping. And that was the first time I had ever heard the term. I think I went home and I Googled what dropshipping is. And I I looked it up in like Wikipedia or something. And I saw that he had a course that he had just come out with, AntonMethod.com. And I decided, okay, let me give this a shot because this sounds like exactly what I was looking for. And in the course he at the time actually shopify was relatively new i don't know how long they've been out uh in 2013 but it, they were still pretty new and they had a lot of competition you know you know building things off of wordpress or big commerce or other other sites and they all look kind of similar in the beginning yeah not now <laughs> no, <laughs> shopify just steamrolled over all of them yeah well what's funny is before it was literally a coin toss you know you can yeah. you can go with any of the three and you would be like okay yeah i guess but luckily, Anton had really taken the time and he said, look, I've built stores on all three. I've been doing this for 10 years. Shopify is by far the best. Just go with them. Don't, like, ignore the other ones. And I, you know, built my first store on on Shopify and it's so much easier now. It was, you know, you know, five years ago, you know, if you guys remember any software five years ago, it was a lot harder to use. So I'm a bit envious of people starting now because just life is so much easier, but I built a demo store, something to kind of look like what I wanted my store to look like. And then I started calling suppliers and I just said, hey, this is Johnny. You know, I'm, you know, I have this e-commerce site. I I would love to sell your products on my site. How can I become an authorized dealer? And five years ago, none of them had ever heard the term dropshipping before. They didn't have, you know, a dropshipping program. They just had a wholesale account. And what that is is, you know, you can buy bulk products uh, at a discount, and usually it was, you know, forty to fifty percent margin. So you, you got you got a big discount, but you'd have to buy a hundred pieces or a thousand pieces at once. And I would tell them, you know, like, look, you know, I don't have a warehouse. Uh, we're an online only store. How about you lower our margins? So instead of giving me a fifty percent margin, just give me a thirty percent margin or thirty-five percent margin. Uh, you keep it in your warehouse and We'll just, you know, I'll, I'll we'll just fulfill orders one by one. So instead of you shipping the product to me, why don't you just ship the product direct to the customer? And in the beginning, a lot of the, lot of the retailers, or I mean, a lot of the, the dealers, they had never heard this concept before, and they're like, "That sounds like like a lot of hassle. You know, I'd rather sell you hundred pieces now and let you deal with it than have us, you know, uh, ship directly to your customers." but i called around enough places and a lot of, you know a few of them were like ah eh, i guess we can give that a shot i mean it's not that much more difficult for us to you know to put on a different um you know postal uh, stamp for to, you know directly to your customer or ship it to you you know it'd be nice if we can you know sell you 25 units up front but you know it's money we'll, we'll take it and i you know would get their their product list and in the beginning it was really difficult it was like catalogs <laughs> physically in the mail and I had to scan in you know, I have to try to find photos somewhere. You know, uh, now it's so much easier. Like every single supplier has a zip file with all the images, all the descriptions. Sometimes you can just upload it directly to Shopify and just import it. Uh, so things were definitely a lot harder back then. But it was also nice because it was it was it was like a fresh start. Uh, now, when you when you want to start a dropshipping store, you have to. You have to be better than everyone else out there, and that's why I'm so happy to still be a member of this course, and you know, kind of constantly see updates of new marketing strategies or new ways to stand out because it is much more complicated nowadays than it was five years ago.
1: Yeah, and I mean that that's very innovative too. You know, like that whole method that's not drop shipping in you know like what you would say at the traditional model of what you see people advertising online you know what i mean traditionally a lot of people are go to barlow, you find products you make cool facebook videos you run a lot of traffic and you acquire sales you know what i mean that's like for the majority of dropshippers that's how a lot of them are doing it and this is this is like old, this is just old school business you know but it's like I'll, i love how you approached it you know it's like look <laughs> i'm not going to buy 50 units you know but i'll take a lesser margin and I will send you sales, and you will fulfill them, and you will put my sticker on it, or you know or my shipping label and I mean at the end of the day, you're doing the upfront work in that you are selling their product for them. they're still making a margin, so they're still moving units so I mean from a business perspective, they're in a good position, you're literally sending them business, you know what I mean that they don't have to pay for otherwise they'd have to pay for with pay per click or with Facebook ads or with you know what i mean an s e o strategy you're taking that all away from them. Obviously, they're making a bit less in terms of a commission, but everybody has... I mean, there's a cost to acquiring a customer as well. You know I mean? If they were to run PPC, they might be paying 15% to acquire that sale anyway. You know what I mean? So... I mean, to to instead take that off and give it to you and you literally just send a business to them. Such a fabulous business model. You know, I I love the innovativeness of it. And it's great that, like you're saying, you learned that from the Anton method. I've I've seen his course too. Um, So just to paint a little bit of a picture on the time frame. So from, from the idea, I'm going to do this. You picked up the phone. You started ringing suppliers to acquire in your first sale. Roughly, how long was it, and what strategy did you use to then acquire some customers for that store?
0: Yeah, so the entire turnaround from signing up for the course, building the demo site, calling suppliers, you know, having a live site that actually took payments—you know—in the beginning, it was it was way more complicated. Like, I, Shopify payments didn't exist; it was Stripe, and then I would have to make an account with them, then integrate it with with Shopify. Now it's now it's all kind of just done. You know, you you sign up for Shopify, everything's kind of in there. But what it was is right at the end of the first eight weeks, the first two months, I turned on just Google, like Google Ads, Google AdWords. And within days, I think it was, I wanna say within three or four days, I got my first sale. And I remember it was one of the cheaper products, but because I'm doing more high ticket items, the cheapest product we had was $369. And I remember getting that sale. At like one or two in the morning, I was you know because of the time zone difference, it was the the it was during the day in the U.S. where my customers are based, but in Thailand it was like you know the middle of the night, and I remember seeing that cha ching and seeing the Shopify notification saying you made a sale, and I was so excited that I packed up all my stuff, went to the co working space, which luckily was you know across uh, the street from where I was staying, and it's twenty four hours and it just sat there like thinking like okay how do i actually fulfill this now you know and i remember just sending my supplier an email saying hey you know we have an order you know please send it to this address this is the item and it just went from there it it, it was just it was it was the first moment of this new life you know it was the first moment of being an actual business owner
1: that real um, you know i mean the the owner of Shopify, Toby, often talks about it. it's that feeling when you get your first sale. Like you can't replicate it. You're like, ah, oh, proof of concept. This works. <laughs> I can sell stuff on the internet. You know, um, brilliant. You know, so so like that, and then that's that's really uh, inspiring story. You know, I mean, like that was really so. It was about eight weeks. You know what I mean? It was it was a lot of work. It was Google AdWords that actually led to the sale. Um, you know, so look, this is brilliant. So you did end up spending. I mean, at that point, where your budgets modest for ppc i mean for high ticket items i would imagine maybe the ads were a bit more expensive for clicks like can you talk to that a little bit or was it like you know did you have a set amount because you were saying you know you're being modest with your budget you know all the time you had been living in thailand like you know do you remember roughly how much you you put up for you know i'm going to spend a thousand dollars on google ads in this first month and see if that works or did you have
0: yeah yeah so i was i was running out of money at the time i think i during those eight weeks, I was just living off of what was little like left for my savings. I had less than a thousand dollars left. And actually I remember calling my cousin, who was a lawyer back in the US, and I said and just saying, Hey, I'm running out of money, but I really want to make this work. If I have to call you in a few weeks, can you, you know, spot me some airfare to get back home? You know, if I get stuck out here. And <laughs> You know, it was actually pretty funny because the reason I called him, at a, you know, and not someone, you know, anyone else, it was he was the only one I knew that was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So I assumed, you know, a thousand dollar plane ticket wouldn't be that big of a deal for him. But even him, you know, even making six figures, he was like, yeah, you know, no problem. But you have to give me, you know, some, you know, some notice so I can get the money together. And I thought, how is that even like possible? If I was making a hundred thousand dollars a year, surely. I would have 10 grand just in the bank at any given time, minimum, you know, if not 100 grand in the bank, you know. And that's when I also realized people living back home are spending just as much as they're bringing in. So it doesn't matter if you're making 100 grand living back home, if you're spending, you know, two, $3,000 on, your rent or your mortgage, you know, another eight hundred dollars on your car, you know, another five hundred dollars on insurance, another couple hundred dollars on gas. It really adds up. So I knew right then that if I could make this work, if even if I can make a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a month living in Thailand, not only will I have a better quality of life, you know, good weather year round, but I would actually probably save and have extra money left over, even compared to someone making six figures back home.
1: Absolutely. I mean I having lived in Thailand too, I love it and I can I can speak to, you know, the quality of the accommodation and the services and everything that you you get for a far lesser figure. You also have a lot of time saving things like, you know, silly things that take up a lot of your time like washing clothes and doing laundry and all that sort of stuff. When you're in Thailand, I mean you pay like two quid you get all that done for you. It's like, it's you know, but if, when you're at home, that sort of stuff can take up a lot of your time. But look, I hear what you are saying. Living at home is expensive. City living is expensive. Maybe your cousin lives in a city. I mean, I know, I have friends who live in Dublin in Ireland and they pay like 1,500 euro, 1,700 euro for a tiny two-bed apartment. And my friends in London pay even more than that in Sterling. So it's like $3,000 a month, you know, U or maybe not US, maybe two and a half thousand dollars US, you know, it's a lot of money just for the room that they're in, but you think if you paid two grand a month and you were in Thailand, well, where you'd be living, <laughs> you'd probably be in the Hilton or something, you know, Um. so so look, I mean, that's, that's all brilliant and it's an inspiring and it was good that you had your cousin there for, for that backup and security and I, I guess it was a, a light bulb moment in your life where you're like, okay, but look, I mean, you can at home, you're making that money, but the lifestyle doesn't equate and the freedom doesn't either. So when you started, when this thing started to take off and this thing started to grow, at what point did you seek help? You know, did you, did you look to outsource? where you doing everything yourself for a period of time? What did the initial stages of that business look like?
0: Yeah, definitely in the beginning, I did everything myself. I would leave my phone, you know, the ringer full blast next to my bed. So if somebody called with a question at four in the morning, I would pick up. And I would try to perk up and, you know, be as, as, you know, as normal as possible. And it was normally a question about, you know, how long would something take to ship? Is something in stock? You know, really kind of easy questions. And it was actually very fortunate that I was in this real predicament, you know, being in Thailand in the different time zone, because it forced me to outsource really quickly. You know, this is the first thing I did was hire somebody that was in the US, it was actually this, you know, older retired lady to to answer my phones. And I said, you know, every time you answer the phone, I'll give you, you know, I think it was, I I think we started at maybe $15 an hour, but each call was usually only five or 10 minutes. So it actually wasn't that much money. And she was just at home anyway. So, you know, she was retired uh, and she would pick up the call, you know, the phone and she would look at this little FAQ that I sent her, you know, like, Oh, these items take two weeks to ship this, you know, these items ship within two to three days. So, you know, they would. People would call. I would hear the recorded um, conversation. So you know, the very next day when I would wake up during a normal, normal time, and I would just give her kind of some notes saying, "Oh, next time, please say this," or like, "Oh, great job." And instantly, I was not just a small business owner; I was a small business business owner with an employee.
1: Wait, and you're not dealing with customer service anymore. That's like the first thing you got to get off your plate
0: <laughs> if you're an e-commerce store, you know? Uh, Definitely. And then the second employee was a an accountant f- from the Philippines. She had a master's in accounting, yet she was only charging $2.50 an hour. And I had her do all of my books. So every time I would have an invoice come in, she would plug that into Excel or into Google Sheets. Uh, every time I had a, a you know, at the end of the month, like she would balance the, the books and it, just, it made my life just so easy. You know, I actually remember within two or three months, I was making two to $3,000 in net profit, you know, after all expenses. And I had two employees that are paid for. And I had all this free time all of a sudden. And I thought, this is way better than living back in the U.S. Because after taxes, that was the same amount of money I was making working a $48,000 a year job in corporate California and having, you know, 40% of my taxes being taken away. Absolutely.
1: And uh, can, can you just talk to a little bit about, you know, where you found those um employees, you know, which uh, freelancer site or was it a recommendation from a friend? Where did you come across those people?
0: Yeah, so I found the customer service lady, I think off of it was Upwork. Yeah, it was, I think it was Upwork. And the Filipino uh lady it was originally a site called OnlineJobs.ph that used to be good, but I no longer recommend them. I, I unfortunately, they, they just kind of suck now. I th- I think what happened was the whoever started that that business, you know, maybe got a little bit a little bit lazy and decided, okay, well we're making money, we don't have that much competition, so let's um, you know let's just kind of rest on our laurels. Let's take this one off
1: yeah, no, I, I actually, it's kind of funny you say that because, I mean, I've used onlinejobs.ph before as well and I actually feel a little bit similar, but, uh, you know, that they were really good. I mean, I find that you, you just don't get the people on there that you did before, you know what I mean? Um, uh, So, yeah, no, that that's interesting that you would say that. But now I have actually found one good agency who I still continue to work with to this day on onlinejobs.ph, but we don't work through that. You know, we work, you know, via
0: paying errands, Skype and yeah so that's actually a great business tip out there if anyone's looking for a new industry to disrupt if you want to create a better version of a you know free like a freelance site looking for or to to be able to hire Filipino VAs it's out there there's plenty of people like like us that are looking for good quality workers but pre-screened and not and not the, the garbage that's out there now.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the big difference between online jobs.ph and everyone else is, you know, they required for freelancers to upload government IDs and, you know, to maybe verify their bank account. And you're like, it gave this layer of security. But also, you're not hiring people, like, by the hour on there. You're hiring people either part-time or full-time. You know, you're really trying to find that, that person to add to your team and not just, like, a one-off ad hoc. And you can get, like, I mean, people on there, you know, you can get a good person for, like, you know, $400 a month or $350 a month. You know, like Johnny mentioned, like people with masters who are teachers, it's a whole different breed. Like it's a brilliant marketplace, but I just feel like, I, I don't know, I just haven't got the results that I wanted out of it the last two times I've used it. So, I mean, I, I'm looking elsewhere now when I'm looking for, for freelancers. Um, and I, I kind of feel a little bit... I mean, Facebook groups is quite good these days as well. You know, I'm in a couple of different Facebook groups for like digital nomads and virtual assistants. And sometimes I'll ask in there and I'll get them, you know, Um, if if I want somebody, you know, just ad hoc or one-off
0: for a project. Yeah, definitely. I think recommendations are still going to be king right now.
1: Yeah, it just took a little bit of time before that part of uh, the industry evolved, I guess, a little bit, you know. But I mean, look, I still use Upwork, people per hour, and then I have an, I have two agencies, actually, one in the Philippines and one in India, who I work with for all of, you know, uh, web design and SEO projects that I do. So, I mean, they're good. And I did find one the Filipino one off online jobs off the hit. I just wouldn't be paying their 70 euro a month or whatever it is just to stay signed up. I don't really agree with that. Uh, <laughs> screw that. Uh, right. Cool. So, uh, and then, like, I suppose, as the business grew then, did you really have any growing pains or was this kind of like that business was good time to focus on some other stuff what was kind of what was the, the next period here now for you yes
0: yeah, so i spent probably the next 6 months really optimizing that store and just growing it at, you know adding more suppliers adding more products increasing my conversion rate you know from you know what started at 0.5% up to 2 or 3% and i guess for for people who, who aren't from too much familiar with e-commerce when you Increase your conversion rate from one percent, which means you know one out of a hundred visitors buy something, to two percent. It not actually not only doubles your profit, you actually your bottom line actually triples because you're paying the same amount in in ads and expenses, and you're able to just have way more profit from it per you know um, per per dollar spent. And I got the store. I think the best month I had, I cleared seven thousand five hundred dollars in profit. And I was ecstatic, I was so happy, and best of all, all my suppliers let me fulfill my products or you know you know would t- take credit card as payment so at the time, I was selling between thirty to forty thousand dollars worth of products a month and putting all that on a credit card you know plus the twenty nine dollars a month I was spending for Shopify plus the couple hundred dollars you know I think it was between five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. Uh, for Google Ads, and I started racking up so many points for travel, and that's when I really just started, you know, focusing on seeing more of the world. It was my first time ever going to Europe. I, you know, it was my first time ever flying business class. You know, it's first time spending, you know, you know all this time just seeing different countries, and the travel bug bit me. I realized. I can just maintain my store. I don't have to work on it too much because, you know, I had spent the time in the beginning growing it. And I think this is kind of where a lot of people, you know, mess up in their digital nomad journeys is they want to skip to this part (laughs) first without doing any of the work. But – and because it is the most exciting part. It's the part where, you know, you're really living the four-hour work week. And I was literally just working four hours a week. I would log in for 20 minutes a day, sometimes an hour, and check emails, fulfill orders, you know, take a look at what my what my employees were doing and making sure they're doing it right, but they were handling the day to day. You know, customers were buying things, Everything was on autopilot. And I was living the life. And I think what happened was I kind of just let it slip. You know, I did I wasn't growing the store. I wasn't, you know, keeping up to date with marketing strategies. I wasn't as excited about it. I wasn't as passionate about it. And, you know, the the sales of the stores, you know, slowly doing a little bit. I was, you know, my margin started kind of going down as ads got more expensive. And I just wasn't really focused. I wasn't passionate about it. Um, So I eventually sold that store, you know, uh, but it was nice because not only did I make, you know, two to five grand a month from the actual store while I was running it, uh, not only, you know, did I get a ton, I think I racked over a million uh, reward miles to be able to fly around the world. But then when I sold the store, I got a $60,000 check, just, you know, free and clear. And I took all that money and I put it into an investment. And I was able to just kind of rest off that for a while. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's it's okay
1: to buy it or, you know, to build it and sell it. You know, a lot of people can be emotionally attached to the business that they built. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, if you built a real business, like it was an asset that could have been sold. You know what I mean? It generated revenue. It didn't rely on you. Like, you couldn't sell JohnnyFG.com. That's you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this business is... Yeah, or was sorry it was it was a business that had been built up it was an asset, and you can sell it for whatever it is twenty or times the monthly revenue um that that the websites are going for so I, I mean and that gives frees up your time frees up your surplus it gives you a surplus of cash for you to focus on the next thing so did you go back into dropship and after that, or did you, you you know like you said you invested the money to, I imagine after you get to that point and you see it work, you maybe would find you'd be like, okay, I lost you know, I lost my passion for barbecues. <laughs> Maybe I want to try and sell uh, stand-up paddleboards. You know, like it, it, did you did, did that happen? Did you transition? Did you open a new store? What did it look?
0: Yeah. So it was funny. So I had I was dating a girl at the time, um, and she was an English teacher, and we wanted to, you know I wanted to travel. You know, it was the first time I actually had the money and the time to travel. But she had a normal nine to five job, you know. It was more of a eight to five job, and we were able to go on, you know, trips, you know, here and there on a on a three day weekend, or maybe if it was like a, a longer, you know, week break. But I was convincing, trying to convince her to to start working online, and you know, we so we did a, a side project. We, we created a, a small course on, on Udemy um, called Small Talk, just a, a, like a a basic online course just to kind of get the ball rolling and that worked out. So we said, okay, let's start a dropshipping store together. I already know (laughs) what I'm doing. (laughs) So, you know, let's, let's go this route again. And it was hard working with someone. To be honest, I remember we had a bunch of fights, you know, over, you know, like, I mean, I remember even through the like niche selection process and, in Anton's course, he recommends writing down a list of 50 possible niches and then just going through each one and crossing them off. They don't fit his criteria. You know, a lot of it's like competitive analysis, you know, seeing, you know, how easy suppliers are to get as well as you know, which ones are using what advertising platforms and things like that. So for me, it was just very like mechanical almost where I went through the list and I remember we were traveling at the time because she had already created a job. And we were in Borneo, really beautiful, you know, place. And we were at a scuba diving resort. And we sat down on a computer and I just started crossing off, you know, things that didn't work. And I remember every time I would cross something off, her heart would break a bit because she had put so much effort into thinking of these niches or researching it. And she thought all 50 were good. And it's not that they were bad, just that some just didn't fit fit the criteria.
1: And that creates tension. <laughs>
0: it creates tension oh. in the room. <laughs> we had the biggest fight, I, and I—I I didn't realize she would, you know, be emotionally attached, or would be mad about it. But when I crossed out, you know, the first forty, it's like, nope, nope, terrible, terrible. <laughs> it just, it was really bad. But luckily, we made it through. You know, we, 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 you know, there was a bunch on that list that would have worked, and we just randomly chose one. Uh, we built the store together. Uh, actually, I think we were in south africa visiting her parents and then you know going on a safari and seeing some animals and we got our sale we got our first sale while we were there and we were so excited i I don't think her her dad really understood you know why we were that excited because it was a small sale i think it was a couple hundred bucks maybe it was even like a 200 product but we knew we're like this is it this is this is going to be it and for the next you know three years that we were together that was our business you know we would make you know 2 to 3 grand a month in net profit from from that business i had some other things you know happening on the on the side as well and we when we broke up we we sold it so we ended up selling that one for 57 grand uh, we split it and that was stormham too so i mean and was a lot of it the um, you know,
1: the same like repeatable processes, or repeatable workflows. You know, were things like we're you using Google Ads. Was it the same strategy, or was it a different different model? where you are using Facebook Ads, or can you talk a little bit more about the model?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the model's the same. Um, and he, and here's what here's where people get really confused. People ask like, you know, like, oh, why aren't you using Facebook Ads, or why aren't you using? And it's not that they don't work. It's that they don't work for our category or our price range. You know, I want people to understand that.
1: Yes, <laughs> right. You, you know, choose, choose your battles. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, not every Facebook ads is not right for every business model. <laughs> so brilliant. Sorry. Uh, sorry for interrupting, but I, that's such a point, you know?
0: Yeah. No, no, no. And here's the problem. So here is the problem with trying to start a business without following a plan or following a course. You know, there is a ton of free information out there. There's a ton of good information out there. But the problem, it's the same as like trying to bake a cake by piecing together a bunch of recipes that you found on YouTube or online without following through any one recipe. They all work on their own, some better than others. You know, some are, you know, made by professional bakers, some might be like, you know, people that don't really know what they're talking about. But either way, they're all okay. But the problem is when people just try to do it on their own with just random pieces of information, it's like taking part of a cake recipe, part of a pie recipe, part of a strudel recipe, and just throwing it all together and saying, Hey, why is it not working for me? And to really kind of just you know illustrate it, you know, I want you guys to imagine you know, you're browsing through Facebook or you're browsing through Instagram. You're just scrolling and just looking at fun stuff. And then you see an ad for a $2,000 barbecue grill. You might like it because it looks cool, but then you're not going to buy it. There's, I mean, the chance of you buying that product when you weren't previously looking for it is basically zero. So I've just wasted that advertising dollar having a pretty much a 0% chance of you buying that product. Versus imagine I spent the same amount of advertising money or even more running a very targeted Google ad where it only displays if you put in the exact search term, two and a half meter granite barbecue. You know what you want there. (laughs) Exactly. If you put that term in, I guarantee you are in the buying mindset of finding that item. And if I can match you to that item at a fair price – and have a good quality site, I will get you as a customer, and that is why for those type of products, my this advertising strategy works so well. I will use Facebook retargeting ads once I've identified you as that customer to say, "Oh, by the way, remember that barbecue that you've been thinking about? You know, we're having a free sh- you know free shipping sale this weekend if you want to buy it, or here's a five percent off coupon, or you know, get a a free." Um, of a mitt or like barbecue mitt as as a gift if you buy it today. So that's when that works. But also on the flip side, if I was selling really cheap products off of AliExpress using umbrella or, or below and you know it was a $2 product or an $8, you know, a free plus shipping product, there's no way I can afford to spend a dollar per click or, you know, $15 per conversion on a Google ad. Also, nobody is typing in, you know, you know, fidget spinner, especially when people don't know what fidget spinner's war back then. <laughs> like nobody was typing in these phrases of, you know, what you're offering them. The reason why those work so well on Instagram, on Facebook is cuz people are browsing through, they see a cool little, you know, new gadget or invention. It's free plus shipping or it's, you know, $5. It's easy for someone to buy that. And that's why that works so well in that type of market.
1: No, I hear you, man, and I think it's it's brilliant and it's good it's good advice and good knowledge for people, you know, um, because a, a lot of people can be blinded by you know dropshipping his Facebook ads, you know what I mean? Like like that's uh, that that can be an incorrect perception that people might have built up, you know. So look, this is fabulous, and it's been great to get you know a lot of these ideas. So. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, so you did, um, you, you mentioned that you, you use a course. So did you did you pay for mentorship, coaches, coaching along the way? And, um, you know, yeah, can you just talk about that? I know you mentioned the Anton method. Was there any any other ones that you used or is that
0: pretty much? That, that was it. And, you know, and it's been five years. I still recommend uh, that his course. It's still great. And actually, it's better now because he keeps adding new content to it. And you kind of have to, to be honest. I think you, you know, in this day and age, you if you just followed you know his basic 8 modules like when i when i started the course is really cheap it was under $1000 and it had eight videos <laughs> it was like eight 11 minute videos and it said okay you know this is what you do and it was good enough at the time it was groundbreaking but every year he just you know he adds new videos saying like okay you know here's a new strategy this is what we're going to do now so now the course is giant and now it's you know it's well over $1000 now but it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to stay up to date. You know, you can't just listen to you know kind of older formation because times change. You know, the internet changes really quick, and so does e-commerce, especially with competition.
1: It's always changing. I mean, it's it's in a constant state of evolution as people's attention changes. You know, I mean, six months ago, a year ago, Instagram stories wasn't jack. Now it's, it's so important for businesses and brands. People's attention changes, and how people search changes, and as an e-commerce store owner, you need to be adapt and, uh, you know, willing to pivot, I guess, you know, you have to be agile. You can't be fixed and set in your ways. You need to be agile. You need to be willing to experiment, try new things, pivot if things aren't working and not get, you know, caught up in, yeah. And just saying that this is the way it's done. And this is the only way it works because there's one short sure thing about online marketing and e-commerce things change
0: all the time. Yeah, definitely. And, <laughs> So I guess to answer that question, I, I I never paid for for coaching at the time, uh, but I was really active in the private member forums. Uh, they they have a private members Facebook group now too. But the information I would get in there, I mean, it was basically like coaching because I would have people who were more successful than me or just kind of further along, you know, answering my questions and what's really nice about these paid communities, you know, behind a behind a paywall just not like a public thing or reddit or or facebook group where anybody can join is the people in that community, first off you can tell they're serious because they paid the same amount of money, you know, as you to join. But second, usually they're a bit more invested and they're just serious. You know, they're 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 not there just to like troll or like, you know,
1: <laughs> no we have you're all as you say you're all you're invested in it and you all have the same outcome like grow an e-commerce business like you know so you're uh, i I love the analogy a uh, rising tide lifts all ships because like that is literally how i feel in my work like you know you got to level the whole team up you know when everybody comes up we all get better together you know so I feel like a a positive group like that is is brilliant for it's good for your motivation too because I mean you can have shitty days when you work online you know so I mean sometimes things might go so well you might seek some advice like you're saying from somebody a bit more experienced it's like oh man I'm trying this thing it's just not working they're like you know it's good to have those people you can rely on and and they're not trying to once again like I say sell you anything or you know pitch you on a service it's just like straight up look I know what I'm talking about I've done that too here's what I think you should do
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the reason why they take the time to answer you is because they know you're serious. They know you've paid money to be in that course, that, you know, you're probably actually going to follow the advice, versus whenever you give advice, you know, in a public free form, people don't actually listen. I think people don't value it, you know, and they just, and then you have 20 other people giving their version of, you know, their advice, usually from people that never done it or just people have no idea what they're talking about. But if anything, it's just, you know, at least in the, the the forms of one course, you know everyone's following the same method, and then you don't get contradictory information. Because if somebody asked me in Anton's forms, should I use Instagram ads? I would say no. But then if someone asked me, you know, in a AliExpress dropshipping group, like should I use Instagram ads? I would say yes. And it's because we're following different recipes and different formulas. And I think if nothing else, if you guys didn't take you know take away anything else from this interview, I want you guys just understand it is so important to follow one recipe. And it doesn't mean that one person's right or wrong. It means that the advice that they're giving you only applies to a bagel or a cake. It doesn't apply to both.
1: No, I hear you, man. And and it's easy in the online world to, you know I mean things are flashy, shiny object syndrome, you know, your your attention can shift. It, it's hard. I think it's it's hard to stay focused on one thing and not, you know, start taking all these other recipes, if you will, into consideration, you know, because, you know, but, but like, I mean, you brought, you alluded to before, this didn't happen overnight. This was a period, a long period of focused work on one thing. You know, this wasn't, uh, Johnny woke up one day and was doing quite well and flipped his e- e-commerce store. You know, this was, Months of consistent work, um, fulfilling orders, building teams, managing ads. You know what I mean? And then eventually you got to sell it and you started a new business. But like this was a period of work that led to this outcome. It wasn't just, you know, as they say about, you know, you weren't an overnight success. Like it was you didn't see all the work that went in the four o'clock in the morning customer service calls, the trips to space, you know, like there was a lot of work to get you to where you are.
0: You know, I would say another big takeaway is you know the private member communities are really, really good. That's probably the best you're gonna be able to do online. But what's even better is meeting people in person, really connecting with like-minded people in person, especially at a paid conference or a paid retreat. Uh, I just got back from Bali at the annual job retreat. He has it in a different different place every year. But going there, it was like night and day, you know, between that and you know the conversations you have online, uh, with, you know, with nomads or, you know, random people, you know, or even just online in the group in person, people are super open. Like people are showing, you know, showing their niches and showing their stores, showing like the new things that are working. And I think it's cause when you get to know someone in person, they just, they just trust you a lot more, you know, than you, know, in you being a random person online.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and yeah, there's a lot that you can't, You you can't replace with that physical human interaction or social creatures at the end of the day. And a lot of things, you know, you'll pick up on people's cues. You know what I mean? Whether you're like, I like this person or mm, I don't know if I trust that person so much. <laughs> you know? It's like, I don't know if I trust them enough to show them how I set up my ads or it's like, oh, this guy's cool. This girl's cool. I'm on board with them. I like them. Here, look, I'll, I mean, I'm very open. I'm like, I'll show you anything I got. You know what I mean? Like if you, you know, when it comes to you know the online stuff, like if I no one trust that person and they have similar interests, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I would show. So that's brilliant. And just can we quickly touch on just some tools that you might use regularly. So, um, you know, I mean, I know you have a podcast, you have a website, you have... Do you have an e-commerce store at the minute? So you mentioned you sold your last one. Do you have one at the moment?
0: Yeah. So what's funny is I'm actually in the process of building a bunch more. So what I did last year was I created something called a a Dropship Partnership, where I invited a bunch of people to Chiang Mai. And I'm taking a percentage, uh, and they're building the stores, and we're working together. So uh, we just started literally a few days ago, and the goal uh, with the seven people that flew out here is for us to all build stores together. They keep 70%. I have uh, 30%, which I'm going to split with some of my employees. But we're going to walk them through building the store with the goal of flipping them after you know between 12 and 14 months and having kind of this empire of, of dropshipping stores.
1: No, that's brilliant. I mean, I've seen people do that in the affiliate space with the Amazon affiliates where you come, you know, once you've hit a $1,000 a month, you can team up with these guys who are really good at SEO. And uh, they take a lot bigger cut, to be honest, I think they take 50%. And it's like everything after that $1,000 it's 50-50 profit. You know what I mean? Like a 50-50 split. But this is a good model because what you're doing there is you're bringing your experience, their are investing their time. <clears throat> you know, I'm not sure what the story is with the ads and the money, but like, look, it's, it, it's a good model and you have a different... I like your your model of dropshipping. It's not that is something that's sellable. It's not reliant on the next gimmicky gadget, the next flashy lighty racing car set, the next fidget spinner. It's a different model. It's real serious businesses driving sales for real physical businesses, and you know that's you, you could I could buy that off you, and then in the morning I have a store that works. You know, it's not reliant on like I'm saying the next hot thing off AliExpress. You know what I mean? So. These are different business models, and and they're they're more focused on the long term, I think. So that's brilliant. And you know, you host some events in in Chiang Mai from time to time. Have you got any coming up this year, or in in part of the new year?
0: Yeah. So the next event we have is the Nomad Summit, January nineteenth, two thousand nineteen. It's a big annual gathering of location independent entrepreneurs, digital nomads, and people who work online. We're all meeting in Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is kind of the mecca for all things, you know, remote work. Yeah, yeah, it's where we met five years ago, and it's grown. Oh my God, it's grown so much. Uh, I remember in 2013, you know, thirteen, it it would be it it would be impressive to meet up with ten other people doing the same thing. It was just mind blowing to see that you know, 10, 15 people together. Last year, we had four hundred people attend the event. It's, I mean, it's like us taking over the city.
1: I think I think it kind of has happened a little bit. Um, I, when you speak to that, I think my, my birthday dinner, I think it was my 27th dinner. You were at that too, if you remember. And it was uh, like Nick Loper was there and you had Niall Doherty and Jill and John. There was a whole bunch of like online entrepreneur people. And it was like, for me, that was huge to have that 10 people <laughs> there. I was like, oh my God, this place is full of so many entrepreneurs. And now it's probably just like, Whew, everywhere you go, it's just laptops and <laughs> people in laptops drinking bulletproof coffee.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's been an, like a really fun journey. It's it's been an incredible five years here in Chiang Mai, watching it grow. And the Nomad Summit is kind of like the annual reunion. A lot of people, you know, have come back four or five years in a row now, and it's it's like their time to to you know meet new people, kind of welcome them to to the lifestyle, but also just to reunite and catch up with people who are already doing well.
1: Okay. So who's it for? Is it for, I want to, like, I want to get started at Digital Nomad. I want to work online. Or is it for people who are like, I'm a freelancer. I'm already doing a little bit. Like who, who would be the ideal candidate do you feel uh, to come to the Nomad?
0: Yes. So the theme of the, the Nomad Summit is leveling up. So it's just getting to that next level. We really try to have it for people who, you know, already have a business and, 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 you know, and take them from making you know a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a month to really having a you know and may, maybe they're you know maybe they're still trading time for money to really being able to get them to the six figure or higher mark but I would say still at least you know 30 40 percent of the attendees are people who are new to it who are excited you know because those are people looking for conferences a lot of them actually use the Nomad summit as a milestone to say okay I need to get my, I'm gonna buy the ticket now by January I'm going to make it out to Chiang Mai. You know, it's it's high season, the weather's good, there's all the nomads there, there's Nomad Summit. So that's kind of like my my starting point. And even them, like, I would say, you know, they would probably take away more of the you know, the inspiration uh, as well as a little bit of the actionable items, but the people who already have a business, they're really going to benefit from like the the high level networking as well as the actionable items on how to get from, you know, them making couple grand a month to really making a six figure income
1: i I hear you i mean a lot of times it's it's not necessarily i mean i'm sure the content is great and everything else but a lot of times at these sort of events it's the people who are at the event that make the event versus you know necessarily what somebody says on a stage like i mean obviously inspiring stories and good keynotes are important but you know you'll find that at these events you often click with people you wouldn't know otherwise met you meet people you wouldn't otherwise met and you know you share knowledge and insights and stories and and that's that's the real beauty of it i feel you know like it's the, it's the going for the dinner with people the having coffees to having a drink the the real high level networking as you call it you know and, and that's what can make these events really powerful and, and transformative for people in in their life and their
0: business so yeah i mean so many people have come back and saying you know I'll, i met someone in the event last year and we started a business together you know or Yep.
1: (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Hopefully it's working.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, I mean, I think what it is, is people who are willing to pay for an event, you know, and pay for, you know, I don't want to say pay for networking, but like, you know, pay for personal growth, you know, pay for development. Those are the people who are serious. They don't have excuses. You know, they are willing to do what it takes to be able to level up and, you know, and learn and grow. So it's amazing that out of, you know, 400 people, you know, 99.9% of those people are super positive, optimistic, open-minded, you know, and these are the people that either are already or become super successful, you know, and it's a really, really big change of pace than, you know, like the people that you meet online or even at like free events or just around. It's, it's completely different, and I would happily. I mean, I like. I love going into just, you know, just myself. I go to a lot of conferences. I pay, you know, to go to a lot of conferences year round, just because I want. I almost kind of want that to be, kind of like the, the filter and say, you know, what? I don't want to meet. I don't want to waste my time with people who aren't serious. I want to only meet people who put their money where their mouth is, and, is re- and they can recognize the the return on investment, you know, of spending $200 on a ticket to potentially meeting someone or learning something that can make you 20,000 or even 200,000. No,
1: I mean, I hear you and I'm on board with all of it. Like, I definitely i am an advocate for the, the right networking events, you know, I mean, like the, the networking events that are right for you. Not not everyone is right for you. It's kind of similar to the Google Ads thing, you know, like, is this the right thing for you? Are these the right sort of people that I want to connect with? I mean, I feel like your conference is. I'm in Canada at the time, so unfortunately, I can't get to Chiang right? Mai as much as I'd love to get out, but that's the, we, we fly to Canada for a big event in, in the start of January. So, um, at the Shopify office. But, cool. So, look, um just to, to kind of finish up, could you give me some, you know, uh, you know, what would be your call to action? So do you want to mention your business? I mean, we just mentioned the Nomad Summit, and that is on January 19th in Chiang Mai. Where can people go and get tickets and where can people find you across the web?
0: Yeah. So check out the event to get tickets, go to nomadsummit.com. You can watch some of our previous years videos. You can you know sign up for the email list to get some more info. If you want to follow my personal journey. I've been very transparent about everything I've I've done online, you know, since 2013. You you can go back and look at my monthly income reports, even when I was just making a couple hundred bucks a month, to my high points where i you know, I was making ten, twenty thousand dollars, and that's all at JohnnyFD.com. Since you guys like podcasts, check out Travel Like a Boss podcast. There's a weekly interviews with people I meet while traveling who are successful. So we've now had over 210 episodes and probably 200 different business models. So even though dropshipping, you know, was my main bread and butter, maybe it's not for you. Maybe you know, maybe yours is going to be one of the other, you know, 150 or 200 business models. But I guarantee there's something out there that you, that's going to inspire you that you can you going to be able to do so you can get yourself out to Chiang Mai.
1: Johnny, thank you very much, and thank you for sharing. You have such an inspiring story, and you're very transparent. I can attest to that, uh, both on this interview and in all of your income reports, like you said. I mean, you don't hide anything. It's all there, true, you know, um, warts and all, you know, like the the good, the bad, everything is there on your website, and you've done a great job, and you're a huge advocate for the uh, remote work, digital nomad community, and also, you know, for lifestyle, too, not just working until you're sick and blue in the face, you know, but actually, like, you know, choosing creating a life a good life that allows you to do the things you enjoy like diving like muay thai like you know all these sorts of things so i appreciate you coming on thank you and i hope anyone who's listening who could make it to chiang mai would head to the nomad summit and hopefully meet up with you and um all those other entrepreneurs
0: yeah definitely would love to see all of you guys out there you know let us know when you buy a ticket and it says how you heard about us let us know you heard us on the digital nomad cafe podcast i'd love to connect Thank
1: you for listening to today's episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you found it actionable and inspiring, please be sure to give us a rating on iTunes and share it on your social media profiles. You know, tag us on Instagram. Um, you know, get the word out there. Share it in any Facebook groups that you're in where, where people might be freelancers, remote employees, um, online entrepreneurs, anywhere that you feel and anyone that you feel could benefit from learning from today's insights and and the story and the journey of this entrepreneur who is on today's podcast and please help get the word out there and you know every rating helps every every new listener helps and all we're trying to do here is to inspire people and you know share stories to show that it is possible to create that digital nomad lifestyle and also just you know the real nitty-gritty of what it actually takes to build an online business whether that be as a freelancer or as an online business owner thank you for listening I'm your host Adam Finan
0: Thank Thank you for for listening listening to the the Digital Nomad Nomad Cafe podcast. podcast. Head Head over to to the website to access the resources and and links mentioned in today's episode at at digitalnomadcafe.com.